And um, but last week I got to preach in the church in Halabesa, and um, Linus Bridget was preaching here, and we're preaching all the same stuff. We're working through this five loves, the values of liberty, and then um, I don't know if there's like I don't know if importance the right word, but I don't know if there's been a more significant like time in the life of of liberty. Like this isn't just like a, a, a way to frame a sermon series or something. Um, the Lord has had us on this journey over this past few years. Started about three years ago, and Noel and I gathered to pray in his in his house on Monday mornings, my house on Tuesday mornings, his on Wednesday, back and forth. 6 a.m. We would get up, and uh, it started as a way to get some work done. First day we thought, right, we need a load to do a load of work on the church. But then the first day the Lord showed up, and the second day we just prayed. The third day we just prayed. And a year and a half later, we were still meeting in the morning just to pray, and we found ourselves like just asking Jesus, what do you want from your church? Almost like from first principles, going back to scripture and saying, look, if you don't want us to change a thing, we don't want to change a thing. We're not trying to be cool, we're not trying to be smart, we're not trying to do something new. Like, like if you want us to do the exact same thing we've been doing every week from until you return, that's what we're going to do. But if there's something else that you want from your church, if we let like, tradition get in the way, or just not knowing any other ways to do it, then we want what you want. So we're willing to put anything, everything on the line because this is, this is, your, this is your church. And that journey started myself and Noel, and then some of the elders were pulled in, and then some of the leaders in the church, and then you guys pulled in over the last year or two as we've gone about that journey of exploring. And presenting this now is like presenting, here's what we believe Jesus has said he wants from his church. It's his church. And it's making bigger claims again. It's like, here's what we believe life is all about. We're making claims on that scale, yeah? That this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that this is what it means to live in the world he created, that this is what it means to live in the time between his resurrection and and his return is the glorious king. He sang how great thou art in those verses, you know, bridge like this the experience now to then when Christ shall come. How do we live in the in-between? Oh, how great God is. How do we live in light of that? And these these five loves, we've distilled it down to these are the things that Jesus has commanded. We started last week because it's the way that it always starts. And I've never I've never come across a value statement anywhere else. Usually churches write statements, you know, you need your mission statement and your vision statement, and we look to business books to how to do them and they all have to start with whatever like but um but our value is starting with we are loved by God. It's just huge. And it's unique amongst what I've seen, but from scripture, like everything starts with this. God's the initiator of all of this stuff. None of it happens without his initiation. God creates. And then when we fall, God steps in and he redeems. That God reaches out in his love. And everything, as Sarah said, everything that we do is just in response to that. So we kicked off last week with you were loved by God. And I hope that in last week you put yourself in the way of knowing that. We've attached these practices to our values, to our loves. That what are the ways that we work that out in response to it? And those practices are things like we did just this morning, that we start everything with worship and prayer. Not because we need to wild ourselves up, not because we need to get our emotions in the right place, but because, like, first and foremost, we're called to be worshippers of God, people who are loved by God and who reflect that in return. So everything starts with worship. And we've been determined to do that. If you were added to the board of trustees of the charity of Liberty Church, and you met, like, in their monthly meeting, you'll see that the first thing we do is worship and pray. If you join in the elders, like on a Monday morning, we, we meet to, to pray. Mondays and Fridays, one of them we meet just to pray and worship for you guys. The second one we meet to pray and worship and then to do the work of the church. We do nothing without first saying, this is, this, is, this, is, this is who we are. We're loved by you. We want everything to be a response to that. And so I hope that this week you engaged in those practices of worship, of being in the word, the ways that we say we want what you want, God. I want to put myself in the way of experiencing the love of God. I preached this 
last week, as I say, in Halabesa on Sunday morning. On Tuesday morning, I woke up to the sun rising over the mountains. It's all red, and you went outside, and there's pigs and chickens running around, and it's stunningly beautiful. And I'm walking across to the site, and every time I walk across to the, the site, it's about a five minute walk, and you stop and talk to about 15 or 20 people along the way, as you can't. And Rob, the introvert, is exhausted by the time he gets to the site, right? Having to make conversation with like 15 people along the way. And uh, it was like, Dumele, May, Dumele, Dade, like, hello, good morning, Pele, how are you doing? And uh, this woman across the mountain shouts over to me, Dumele, Pastor! And I'm like, hey, Dumele, May, shouts over. And this is like Tuesday morning, she shouts over, I still know Jesus loves me. And a big smile on her face, and she's feeding her chickens, I still know Jesus loves me. And I assumed she was in church on the Sunday morning and heard it, and she's saying two days later, I haven't forgotten that she told me that Jesus loves me. Two days later, it's like a smile on her face, there's a, a joy in her heart. I hope that we walk in that, whether your job is like to feed chickens or whether your job is like to sit on a computer screen and write code or it's to manage people or you're working in a bank or you're working in a factory, that we walk with that joy of like, do you know that Jesus loves you? Like, I mean, is there anything greater to know? Is there anything that could bring you more joy that Jesus loves you? But this morning, what we want to do is look at the first implication of that, because all of it flows from there, right? And it's all connected. And this implication is this, that God invites us to love him, that we love the Lord. You know, Jesus was asked, we know the, the stories of the Pharisees, they're always trying to, to trip him up. They're trying to like catch him in some sort of game where they can like rebel against him. So they come to him, they ask him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like to love your neighbor as yourself. Look, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. Love him with all your strength. And what Jesus is saying by saying that like all the law and the prophets hang on this. What do you mean the law and the prophets? Look at the Old Testament. All of the, the law, all of the way that God has said, this is the way to live in right relationship with me. All the prophets, all the ways in which People were called back into relationship with God, and God said, here's what I'm going to do. And he said, all of that hangs on this commandment. That first you would love the Lord with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. At the heart of things this morning, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, at the core of things, I'm not looking to your obedience. I'm not looking for your obedience to any other command before you obey this command. But I'm not looking for you just to like, you know, you become a Christian and like, now what does Christianity have to say about sex? What's it have to say about work? What's it have to say about relationships? What's it have to say about how I raise kids? And think like, okay, I've become a Christian now, I'm taking on all this set of, of laws and that's how, how I, I live as a Christian. And all of that stuff is good, but if we ever like bypass the cross, if we ever look to bypass it, it's just become an intellectual thing or a disciplined thing. Like if we ever, if it ever doesn't root itself through the heart of God that says, I love you. Prove my love and give him my son for you. And I want that to be reflected in your heart. I want you to love me. If I ever allow it to bypass it, then we've entered into religion. We've entered into something that might look Christian on the outside, but it isn't Christian. We've entered into, into gaining a righteousness of our own. Christianity, I think, at its core is this. It's the, the joyous response to God's liberated love. It's like the joyous response to like the awesomeness of what Jesus has done for you. Not like the dutiful appeasing of an angry God, you know? But it's us stepping towards a God who's, uh, who's rushing towards, towards us. 
And um, just let me pray. Father, as we spend some time in your word, you know, Paul prayed for the church in Corinthians. Um, and Ephesians, sorry, the church in Ephesus. And Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I'll bow my knee before the Father. And his prayer was this, that, that, that the guys would know like, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. And that they would be brought into the fullness of who God is. And we prayed it in our words this morning that that's what would happen. But, but Paul prayed this, he says, that by your Holy Spirit it would happen. And I just confess before you, Lord, that I don't like my words. I'm not going to convince people of your love, but your Holy Spirit will shed abroad in our hearts and will show us just how much you love us. That none of my words, Lord, can change people's hearts, but, but you have said in your word that you've given us a new heart. And so we seek you to do, Lord, recognize our limitations here, Lord, my limitations. And I ask that you would do what only, only you could do today, Lord. And cause love for us to grow in, in, in love for you to grow in our hearts as we encounter and respond to yours. And I pray that your truth would penetrate our hearts, would hear it, Lord, and we'd experience it, we'd feel it, Lord. Because with all our minds, with our intellect, Lord, with our souls, like our, our very being, our hearts, the center of our emotion, with all our strength, like our physicality, that, that we would encounter you, Lord. And then we will be able to respond in love with all of those facets of how you've made us as humans, Lord. But again, it's, it's you, Lord. If you don't show up and do this, Lord, then, then I'm just making noise. Um, so we depend on you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you could do today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, here's what I want you to understand. And what God wants you to understand. That you are loved and that your response as a Christian, your life as a Christian, is meant to flow out of that love. But all of the things that we do, we're meant to do out of the place of the love for God. And we know that that's what matters. It's what matters to God, and it's what matters to us even as humans, yeah? Like, we search, we search for, yeah, we need to be loved, and we search for somebody to give love to in return. As part of my job, I get to marry people, and... Uh, and uh, often when we get people to pick their vows, you know, people want the traditional vows, but maybe they struggle with, you know, they drop the obey, you know, just like the love, honor, and obey, and uh, like, like men, when they give their vows, like, well, love, and honor, and protect, and then women, is like, a love, honor, and obey, they stop, they stop, yeah, of Ephesians. And, uh, and this idea of obeying, right, like isn't very popular, but, but the, the, the titles, like the, the, the topics are, I'm going to love you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to obey you. The, the, like the greatest thing is, is love. If you think even in a marriage, like if, if, if in married, to be married to Patrice, well, like if I honoured her, if I spoke well of her, do you know what I mean? If I protected her, if I provided for her, if I did all of those things that, that I should do and I hope I do do, but if I, but if I didn't love her, like would you say that that's a healthy, a healthy marriage? No. Like not at all. Like that, our, our call is to, to love. It's the things that flow out of love. Not just the things that, not just the things that we do instead of love, or to replace, to replace love. But that's what God is saying here. It's like, like the Bible calls the the church the bride of Jesus, and we can honor Jesus with our lips. We can aspirationally say or acknowledge His greatness. If there is a God and He's Jesus, then He's great, then He's worthy of praise. You can even obey Jesus, even though that word isn't popular right now in in terms of marriage. But you could see that in terms of the bride of Christ. We obey like like Jesus. We do the things that He wants, but but if we don't love him, in the same way that we would say in a human marriage, so you've missed the point, you've missed the mark, that, that, that God would say, you've missed the mark. The point is that you would do all of this out of love, not in place of love. And I'm convinced that the Christian life is what happens when you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all 
your strength. It's the overflow of this. That honouring God and obedience are the result of God, of loving God, not a replacement for it. So, see, we could teach you, we could like intellectualise this stuff and come along, we'll teach you like ten principles for living a victorious life, getting over your sin, but loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength will free you from your sin. We could teach you about obedience and being accountable, but but loving God will produce obedience in your life. We could teach you about purpose and help you to discover your gifts. But guys, that's just like, it's dust in the wind. It's just making noise unless, unless we have love. The real question for you to answer this morning, church, is do you love him? Love produces in our lives what law, what law can't produce. Love changes us from the inside out. It changes the way that we see the world. And look, we're just determined that we don't, we don't like knowingly or unknowingly substitute anything else. You know, like this is, this is, this is who we are as a church. This is who Jesus said he wants us to be. And I don't want people to come along and be like, oh, look at those guys, they live holy lives, you know? Like, that would be great if people said that. Like, but, but, but that's not what we're looking for. Those guys, they do, they do all of this for the poor, isn't that great? But imagine if people could come along and say, man, those guys talk like they know Jesus. Those guys seem to like, love God. They don't just talk about, because it's a huge thought, right? They don't just talk about God like some abstract concept, some parallels, the universe together. Those guys seem to speak like they know God. And when they, when they utter his, his name, when they say the name of Jesus, like there's love. There's love in their voices. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to uh, San Francisco and I was with a group of, of church leaders? And there's the kind of like posturing that happens when you're amongst people. It's like people, like, yeah, in our, out of our own insecurity, you know, you're with a group of people and you're like, you're dropping into conversation or qualifications. Do you know what I mean? Or you're dropping in, you should take me serious. Like, do you know what I mean? Or where you worked or like, what you know theologically or whatever. There's all that kind of going on amongst the group of these like Christian leaders. There's this one guy there, a guy called Angad, an uh, American guy of Indian descent. And uh, he'd been a Sikh his whole life until he's in college and somebody told him about Jesus. And then, um, why did you just want to hear the way that Angad says the name of Jesus? Just like, like where we would use the word Lord or God or something that seems like, like this, that he speaks about this Jesus like he knows, like, like he knows him. He's like, I came to know Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus loves me. And I just want to tell people about Jesus. And like, whenever he'd say the name, it's like they'd give me goosebumps. And I'm like, I want to know. I want to know you, Jesus. Like, I'm God. No, I want to speak about you that way. Because that's, that's the claim that the Bible makes is possible. That we can have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus. Not like distant, not abstract, not some God to be appeased, but personal and, and intimate. And, and there, I believe that that's something God wants to do in our midst. In fact, the first morning that Noel and I meant to pray around this stuff, I was praying for Noel. And usually when I'm praying, I'm praying like Noel was sitting there and I'm sitting there and I'm on our two couches. And usually I'm praying and it feels like I'm, my prayer is directed like this way. You know, like praying this way to God and that God would then bless down to Noel. But for the first time probably ever in my life, it felt like there was a second and third chair there. It felt like Jesus was there. And instead of praying like this, this way, I felt like I was praying that way. I was like, I was talking to a third person in the room saying, Would you bless it all? Would you provide what he needs? It was like intimacy and the confidence to ask him because I knew that he loved us. Confidence of knowing that he was there. The tangible experience of the presence of God. I want to love him with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and all our strength. And that's huge because as Sarah said, like, you can't love someone you don't know. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, this is an audacious claim to say that you can know God. Look at the sky. 
scope of creation, the expanse of it. You look at like the intricacies of our body on a sub-molecular level. You look at like the one that holds all this together, and then there's this audacious claim that you can know God. That He loves you. And He wants you to love Him in return. And if you see the scope, right? Because if there's this command to love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, then, then it follows that there's this promise that you can know me in fullness with all of your heart and with all of your mind, and with all your soul, and all your strength, all the bits that encompass our humanity, he's saying that you can know and experience me through all those facets of the way that I've made you, and they can be aligned in love towards me. Do you see that? As well as being a command, it's this great invitation. Like, like you can know me deeper than you know me right now. Like, your heart, you can love me deeper. Your soul can be aligned with me deeper. You can understand me deeper than you do right now, because I want you to be able to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Samuel says, a man looks at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at, at the heart. We tend to make assess, assessments of people based on what we see, but, but God has the capacity to see our hearts. And to some of us, that's good news, and to some of us, that sounds like bad news. <laughs> because if, we, if, we, if we're determined, if we've been living just like superficial religious lives, and we know what the heart thinks, our hearts are far from God, even though, like, but I want people to think I'm good and Christian. Maybe I've cultivated some, like, identity for myself based on the things I do. Like that can sound like bad news, but the good news is like God wants your heart. And he loves you. And he's after you and he's pursuing you. And then the good news for those of us who mess up, but we know we just we love we love God. Like we mess up, we sin, but we know look at the heart of things. It grieves us. Why does it grieve us? Because we love him. Like we sin and we fail in all the ways like that, that that temptation comes and we mess we mess up. Deep down, we know just, just, there's this love for God. It's there. And to us, it's a great encouragement. And I'm always reminded, I, I want to dwell on this a bit. I made notes, I only had like a paragraph, but this morning as I was driving out, I felt like just the Lord placed weight on that, on this passage. And so I've got it on the computer here. It's the story of, um, of Peter. And uh, I mean, no, Peter, like one of the first disciples called, and Jesus calls him the rock, the great promise, like, the keys of the kingdom and, and Peter's willing to go to war for Jesus like when Jesus talks about being crucified he's like oh no this won't happen like we'll kill everyone and Jesus like get behind me Satan to Peter and like there's this up and down of his life but like someone who loves him at one stage like all people legging away from Jesus he's like are you guys going to go and Peter's like where am I going to go you have the words of life like there's, there's a connection in Peter's heart and so Peter cuts off the soldiers ear when they come to try and arrest Jesus and uh, but then he finds himself he finds himself denying him. And uh, you know the story, like he's like Peter's in like the other kind of courts and Jesus inside being accused, and so people recognize him. But you that guy who's with that guy You're one of them guys. Like, no, I don't I don't know him. I'm not with him. Like three times he denies him. And just imagine like how how messed up he must have felt, like denying him and then seeing Jesus crucified. The last thing I did before this guy who I loved was murdered. I was denied that I even knew him. And, uh, and let him down. Just imagine the weight of that in your heart for somebody that you loved. But the, the story that, uh, you know, the story Jesus is crucified and he's raised from the dead. They're out fishing one time and uh, they come in and Jesus has cooked them breakfast and he's appeared to them. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the guy who was all murdered, the guy who let them down. You imagine what's going on. Peter's heart here, he might want to just like apologize, or he might want to just repent, or he might just like feel like even distance, like, like Lord, I've let you down, I've failed you. 
just when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, listen to this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he replies, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of the sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, said Feed my sheep. Do you see, like that, the heart of, of God in the story of Peter starts with this question, like, Do you love me? And Peter, in the end, like, gets a bit frustrated because he's asking him again and again. And he's like, You know all things. You know that I love you. So it's true that, that Peter wasn't just giving lip service. He's like, Look, you know, you know all things. He's proving your God. Like, you know. That I love you. But you see that God's heart of restoration starts with this. Like, 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 do you? Do you love me? Is your heart towards me? And here as a pastor, like maybe it's just something that I needed to hear. Maybe that's why the weight is on the book, but, but maybe it's something that you need to hear as well. Like when you failed, when you haven't been good enough, when you've let down the Lord in ways that you know you shouldn't have let him down. You know, when you've made decisions actively like that are against the heart of God and it grieves you because you feel I'll let him down again done it again, I messed up again. And there's this tendency to like to, 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 to want to like punish ourselves or to want to earn our way back into his presence or whatever. And I believe that the Lord's response to you this morning was to say to Bernie, do you love me? George, Max, do you, do you love me? Lorraine, Bridget, do you love me? And as our response is yes, that it, like he counters that do you love me and then as the response is yes, it's like, no, here's some purpose, go feed my sheep. Look after my lambs. He's like restoring him into the position that he'd, he'd meant for him, even though he'd messed up. Now, how can you do that? Because between the denial and between the, the, the acceptance and the restoration, Jesus dies on the cross for Peter's sin. It's not Jesus saying it doesn't matter that you deny me. It's not Jesus saying it doesn't matter how you live, just live whatever way you want. Like once you love me, he's saying, like, I've paid the, the, the price for your sin. I've paid the price for your denial. I've paid the price for the way that you've rejected me. It had to happen. And now that it's paid, yeah, the question for you is this just, do you love me? Do you love me, church? I'm not praying for you. It's like when you mess up again, as you will, did you hear the voice of God straight away saying, Mal, do, you, do you love me? Ronnie, do you love, like, do you love me? And there's a restoration, something grows in our hearts to say, yeah, I do, I do love the Lord. The fact that it even grieves us when we say this because we love the Lord. Like God's heart is reaching out. He's provided everything from first to last in the death and resurrection of His Son. His Son died on the cross for our sins so that there can be nothing that separates us from the love of God. You know what Paul prays that? I'm convinced that neither height nor death, nor angels nor demons, nor past nor future, nor anything to come like could ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Like not our sins or anything that we could do can separate us from our love of our faith is in Jesus. God knowing that we need a Savior sends his son to die on our behalf. As Christians, as those who love him, God's response to you when you've messed up isn't like, you know, Peter, you've messed up. Go and fix yourself for a while and then come back to me. Hey, you, Peter, you messed up. You know you really messed up there, don't you? You know you really hurt me there, don't you? Don't feel bad about yourself. Go and sort that out. Don't do that again. Like, can we feel that maybe that's what God would say to us in the middle of our sin, but instead, Jesus Christ, do you love me? Look, do you still love me? Do you still like? Do you still see my worth? Do you love me? If so, here's your purpose. Go feed my sheep. Go do what I made you to do. 
or maybe just there's this there's this collision that Peter comes into between like the love of God that's just been proved in Jesus and his own like need of a saviour. And there's like this collision between the love that God pours out and the love that Peter has in return. And in the middle of that is restoration of purpose and destiny and being sent forth into what God has called you into. Church, God will say to you this morning, do you love me? Your heart is yes. He has purpose for you. He has destiny for you. He has plan for you. And you can step into that. His heart is to restore you. That's not what we do naturally, but that's what that's what God does. And God wants God wants your heart. This is after it. And He's after it in a gracious way. Because He knows that if anything else occupies your heart, it's gonna rob you. Like we we're made for a community with God, we're made to be connected with Him and because it can seem like a strange command, yeah? You've probably heard me say this before, and you'll have heard me say all of this stuff before, right? Because we're not just pulling out values and saying, no, these are our new values. If you haven't heard it preached before in the church over the past 10 years or something, then it's not actually the things that we, we value, right? But I've often thought about this command to love the Lord your God, blood, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I was like, can you command that? Like, can you command that off somebody? It's because you're in a place of authority. Can you, like, reasonably expect that off, off someone? And I think that, that God's heart in commanding it isn't for his sake, it's for our sake that he commands it. Because he knows this is what you, you need. But it seems unreasonable. Like, imagine if I was, um, I've used this example before, but imagine if I was your boss, right? New boss shows up Monday morning, your old boss is gone, you go to work tomorrow morning, and I'm your new boss, and I call you in, and I'm like, okay, all your duties remain the same, you have to do the same things you were doing under your old boss, but now I've got one overarching duty for you. Like before you do any of your work, you need to love me with all of your heart. And you need to love me with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And you need to love me with all of your strength. And if you do all of your work but you don't love me with all of that stuff, then your work is is worthless to me. Like man, you would think I was crazy, yeah? Like you think I was nuts, you'd like have me cancelled on Twitter or whatever. Like I would be gone, yeah? Like you can't you can't like you can't command you can't command love out of a place of, of authority. And if we see God as the boss, then then like just some divine like boss like out there distant, then then then, then that command seems unreasonable to us. Like what? It's God needy? God like uh, God in some way like lacking in something that, that he needs to command, he needs to use his power to get love off this like some needy kind of God. We know from the word that God is God is self sufficient. The creation of humanity was an overflow of the love that existed within the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely self-sufficient. And yet he commands us to love him. And so if God doesn't need anything, then it must follow that the command exists for our benefit. It must follow that the command to love him with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength is God's focused determination to say that if anything else occupies the seat of power in your life, if anything else occupies your minds, your hearts, your soul, your strength, those things are going to rob you because I made you for a relationship with me. It's God in his grace and his mercy saying, I don't need this, but you need this. You need to love me with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Not because God needs you to love God, because God, you need you to love God. All of the other things, you know, we talk in terms of that idolatry of the, the heart. All of the other things that we chase after, money, sex, power, comfort, all the things that we think offer us like the deepest desires of our heart. We know after we've tasted them. We know that they leave us just wanting, wanting more. 
We know that they're relentless. We know that eventually they consume our lives. We know that eventually, the Bible uses the language, we become slaves to those things. God is saying, if I don't occupy the center of your heart, you're going to be a slave. I made you to be a slave. I made you to be free. But you'll only be free to the extent that that seed is occupied by, by me. It's our freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus says, come to me. All who are thirsty, and you'll never thirst again. Like, you know what the world offers of these diminishing returns. I have no money in the bank. Now I need more money. I have one month's worth of savings built up. Now I need three months. What? Well, like, like, that stuff is just relentless. You pursue relationships, cheap relationships, you know, the power we get from being able to get men or women like you are. And then, like, you just need to pursue it again and again. Or we pursue comfort in drink or drugs or whatever it is, you know, and it's just relentless. It's like, what happens? You need it again the next day. And then you need more to scratch the same itch. And it's like diminishing returns. God says, I'm filling up. I'm filling up to overflowing. Like that's his promise, that's his offer. And so the command is the most gracious thing you could ever do. It's like, like this is serious. This isn't optional. This isn't optional. I'm commanding you. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Otherwise, the paths lead to destruction. I love you too much. It all starts with we're loved by God. I love you too much. I command you anything less. God loves us. He loves us. And he commands this because he wants us to know his love. And Christians are this. Christians are people who Christians are people who love God. With all their hearts, all minds, and strength. They're people who love Jesus in return. Remember Penny a couple of years ago came home from school. And she's like, she was like, I don't know, I'm like why why is she now nine? So she's seven or something. And immersed enough in the world to have heard just a kind of like pluralism of the world already at seven years old and come home saying like, so what's different, like, it was actually, it was Mary week in school, she's in a Catholic school. So she was like, what's the difference between our religion and other religion? And then she says to me, but doesn't God love everyone? And my response was, yes, God does love everyone, for God so loves the world, yeah? But God's looking for those dependent, dependent. Oh, genius in the moment, right? But uh, <laughs> he's looking for those who love him in return. Yeah, Penny, God loves everyone, not everybody loves God. And those who do love God are those who, like, like in Jesus, see, like, the man nails to the cross, and see that he's nailed there. Like, for me, I can't help but love him in return. I can't help but those who, like, encounter him, like, when they're, like, open the word in the times, like, of struggle, and open the word in the times of joy, and find, like, this God who's constantly reaching out to us. Like, the Holy Spirit, like, the word's coming alive to us. He's got his, like, posture, like, constantly moving towards us, like, leaves heaven and comes to earth and ascending, he sends the Holy Spirit like his movement is always towards us. How can you resist the love of God? It's like the penny look, it's about God loves everyone. He's made a way for everyone to come to know. It's those who are going to love him in return. And I'm so grateful to God that he's given me a heart to love him in return because when I think about it, it's nothing I drummed up. Like, it's just something, it's something he did. It's his grace from beginning to end. Prayers that he does it more and more, he does it through us, to all of you us, to, to show more people about, about his great love who will come to love him and return and have their hearts occupied by him. When I think back on, on my life, I'm just someone who's been who's been well loved by God. I can't take any of the credit for any of the things that I've got to do in God, which have thrilled me and which like amaze me and which humble me. God somehow reached out and as a young boy like drew me to his heart and gave me a love for him. He says in, 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 in Ezekiel that I'll give you a new heart. 
And that's been my experience. I just have this heart. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing me. The more we participate in that, the more we don't run away from it, and the greater the measure of the love of God that we can have. We're just determined, guys, as a church, to like to not settle for like playing the religious stuff, to not settle for the mercy and justice stuff, to not settle for any of the things unless unless they come from being loved by God and loving Him in, in return. Don't put patches on, don't want the applause of people, don't want the recognition, like stuff all that stuff. One day I'll stand before Jesus. Is Jesus gonna say, Go away from me, I never knew you? Didn't I do this in your name, Jesus? Didn't I do that in your name, Jesus? Like you didn't, you didn't know me. Where's the offerings that I can know? I can know him and one day stand before him and just experience him in a greater depth than I could. Like, man, if that doesn't compel us each morning to get up and get on our knees and put on our worship songs and open our word and call one another and like remind one another, you know that God loves you today in the rain. Like, or, or pray for one another and have words for one another and be connected and I'm getting into the we love one another one for two weeks from now, right? But it's all the, the flow that comes from this. Starts with being loved by God. Second thing is that we know we can return. If we ever jump to these final three things without the first two being in place, we're just playing at it. And we're just determined. Right? You'll see it in the way that we'll be shaped as a church. You'll see it in the way that we gather. You'll see it in everything that we do. These practices we're committed to. It's why the Bible project is there. It's why everything starts with prayer and worship. It's why we're committed to the practice of Sabbath rest, which we'll speak about at some point. It's why we're, we're, we're committed and why Terry is going to lead us in communion after the sermon. Because if anything, if in any way somehow I manage to stand up here and preach religion, that at the end there's communion that shows this is all only possible because of what Jesus is doing on the cross and brings us back into the great love of God. What was done for us, not what we do, like to gain God's love. We're loved by God, church. I know Terry is going to speak from uh, 1 Corinthians when it comes to the love that God has for us. But I remember a while back when I was taught about this, this, this way that we're called to love God. And we look at the Corinthians verses from all angles. Yeah? So what I'm talking about is, you know, the, if, I have to, if I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, they don't have love. Love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, all that. And, and we preach it this way, like I think, you know, the way that God has loved us. God is patient, God is kind. I believe that's where Terry is going to lead us in communion, in response to what he's done. And I'll preach it as well at like weddings and stuff, you know, like be patient with one another, like on the horizontal level, be level, kind with one another. We do anything without love. And um, remember as I dwell on this, just looking at it on the, the vertical level, as in not just God's love for us, but our response to Him. As a way to, to assess, as a way to be like, how can we grow? Let me read it, right? So 1 Corinthians says, We speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If my measure for how well I'm doing as a Christian is that I'm able to prophesy, it's that I'm able to do like all of this stuff, but I don't have love. What's God saying? You're just like you're just banging it, just annoying people. You're just annoying people like smashing on a cymbal, like like making noise. And he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. I'm reading this at this moment as in like, the love we have towards God. So even if we have like the spiritual gifts of God, even if we're like I'm the most wise person you know, even if like we're, if we're all theologians and even if then we're all like filled with these spiritual gifts, but we don't love God. He says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and open my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
And we do the great big giveaways, and we do the kids' weeks, and we do the missions in Lesotho, and we do all of that. But we're doing all of it by bypassing these first two things that were loved by God and loving them in return. And like you gain, you gain nothing. It's, like, it's dust in the wind. It's nothing. Even if we suffer for the gospel, if I give over my body to hardship, like like even if we suffer for it, we have nothing if it wasn't love that motivated that. And then there's this definition of what love is: that love is patient. And my question is, as we assess that, man, are we patient? Are we patient towards God? Do you trust His timing? Or do you want your own timing? Like, are we, are we patient? Knowing that He loves us, are we able to be patient? Are we willing to wait on Him? Love is kind. Are we kind and given in our relationship towards God? Or is it one-sided, you know? Like, we get, like, love God, love God, love God. We want to come along from service to service and get the goosebumps. But, like, we're not willing to respond in love to Him. Love is, love is kind. Love does not envy. No envy was Satan's sin. Satan wanted what God had. And I think at the core of all rebellion against God is wanting to be independent from God. Is wanting what God had. Is wanting to be God in our own lives. So the world will shout at you. God, you don't need God. You, you, do, you do you. It's wanting God's position. It doesn't envy. Are we willing to let God be God and us to be us? Look, it doesn't boast. Like, and this is huge, right? Because... Because when we come before God, we don't have to come with the list of things we've done. We don't have to come before Him boasting. We don't have to come having like lived up a good record of stuff. We can come with humility saying, God, I'm nothing, but I'm trusting that you gave everything and that you love me. That you're willing to give me everything. It's not proud. It doesn't need a list. It doesn't, it doesn't boast. We don't need to boast before the Lord or earn our way into His presence. But that we could be humble. It does, love doesn't dishonor others. We don't dishonor God. We don't take his name in vain. But his name isn't, man, does it ever just like twist you in your book when somebody uses the name of Jesus in a way as a curse word? Like the way it should twist you in the gut if somebody used your wife's name as a curse word or your, your kid's name as a curse word or someone you love as a... Like, it doesn't dishonor. We honor. We honor Jesus. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, God has never done anything wrong, but in our hearts as we go through life, we can build up kind of resentment. Man, I went through this thing. Where was God? What was he doing? Where's he, where's he at? Keeping records like, like why did you let that happen? But God would call us to not keep our like to go to him with those things. Boneless and say, God, where, where were you there? I guarantee you when you ask that question, you find out he was right there with you. Love always protects. Speaks well of him. Love always trusts. Trust God. Love always hopes, church. You're never without hope. And you love God. Like we're never without hope. And it always perseveres, meaning it never, it never gives up. Our prayer is that. Imagine if we got to this stage. Imagine if I was Liberty Church, we could read off that list. It's like, you know, it's it always hopes, always perseveres. You know, it doesn't rejoice at evil, but rejoices at wrong. Like, and go to like, like, and say, man, that's true of our lives, piece by piece. That's how, that's how we're relating to God because we're coming to know Him and we're encouraging one another in that and we're building one another up and we're relentlessly pursuing Him with the same relentless pursuit that God came after us with. I believe that that's the church that Jesus wants us to be. And it's not just something that I want, I believe that if you want it, and I want it, that it's a reflection of what He wants. And when we want what He wants, we get, we get what He wants. And my prayer, and I pray, Lord, is that that you would do that in our hearts by the power of your spirit. And maybe my words have been compelling, but beyond that, Lord, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. And that we would like just find ourselves in, 
in awe, like in the ocean, you know, like if His grace is an ocean, we're all sinking the line of that song, in awe of like how great your love is towards us, Lord. At the overflow, the way that we were created to respond is in worship and in adoration and reflection, that love generates love, Lord. I pray over each person here, Lord, and those who haven't made it this morning, but are part of Liberty Church. Lord, that love would be our portion. And each day we would come like to greater, greater depths. Like Paul said that we'd like explore the, the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of it, the fullness of who, of who God is. That corporately we would do that, individually we would do that, Lord. And honestly, we could say that we love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strength. And even as I felt the weight poured on that story of Peter, for those who came this morning and are feeling I'm let God down again, I'm not good enough. I pray that they would hear the truth this morning that Jesus Christ is good enough. Jesus Christ is good enough. And God's heart to you this morning is to say, Do you love me? And as your heart's response is yes, God would speak purpose and destiny and calling into your life right now. The plans and the purposes He made you for. Or the world began when he taught you up and then when he needed you together in your mother's there's plans and purposes. And God hasn't given up on them. And you shouldn't give up on them. And God would just say to you, do you love me? And we'll call you back into his heart. Into restoration. Or we hold all of these values that we believe are reflections of what you've said you want. And we ask that by your grace and by your power we will be the church that you want us to be your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Terry is going to lead us in uh, the Lord's Supper. <coughs> if a couple of people can give out the elements, that'd be great. Please. of moon and I went back to basics and uh, I started looking right back to like who is this God that we love and I looked at John 1 John 4 15 I'm beyond there and it says if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God God lives in him and he in God and so we know and rely on the love God has for us then it just frankly states God is love whoever lives and love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have a confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, and again, this is a phenomenal statement, and the, one of the reasons why I'm so glad I went back to basics. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us first. So the word love is used very loosely as we know these days. It can be about your, your meal, your favorite football team, and, and your job. But what is the real characteristics of perfect love? And to that I went to Corinthians 31, Corinthians 13, as Rob mentioned. And I'll just say them again. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, 
It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So we must work from that. And if their God has all of those characteristics, being God that is love, then why would we not love him in return? And so our journey is to know how deeply God loves us. It is a journey in loving God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we learn how much we are loved by God, we fall more deeply in love with him. In addition, we get to love each other more and more. We are so blessed to be living in a time of grace rather than legalism. Yet everything we say or do can be dedicated as worship to God. However, a special place of worship is reserved for when we partake in communion. And I'm just going to pray. So Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and loving God. We partake of communion out of love for you. Please reveal more of yourself through our participation in communion. We partake of communion also because Jesus, your son, said to do so. We want to become more united with you, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. Let us become more aware of your Holy Spirit power that dwells within us. May we become corporately more like one body, united in love for you and for each other. And may we live without fear just as you intended. This we ask in Jesus' holy name. prayer over us as a way to um, to finish service. This is this is Paul's prayer uh, for the Ephesian church. I've been praying this for the past two weeks. But let me read it out as a prayer over us. He says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every, every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we say, Amen. Amen. Amen.